we all love a deal. You know what I'm talking about. When you walk into a store and you see something on sale and you're like, it's only $4.50. Yes, what a deal. Or if you're in a thrift shop and you find a designer handbag or a pair of designer shoes for like $3, you think you won the lottery. We get a thrill out of a deal. It's that hit of adrenaline. It's exciting. But others, maybe the idea of secondhand shopping is overwhelming and taxing. And maybe you just like the idea of it, but actually doing it, not so much. My guest today took her passion for finding a deal and made it into a sustainable business. Welcome to Business with Purpose. I'm your host, Molly Stillman of Still Being Molly. And this show is all about bringing you the stories behind the brands, companies, and small businesses that are changing the world. Each week, I interview an entrepreneur, a CEO, nonprofit director, community leader, or just an amazing person who is trying to make a positive impact, not only through their personal life, but also with their career. My goal is to show you that no matter what you do for a living, you can make an impact right where you are. My guest this week is Liz Funk, the founder of And We Evolve, a subscription box styling service for shopping high quality, secondhand clothing. This was such a fun and enlightening chat with Liz, and I just know that you're going to love it. So without further ado, on to my chat with Liz. Hey, Liz, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for joining me. I am so excited to have you on the show today and to talk, to hear your story and to hear all about And We Evolve and all of the things. So we're going to dive right in. We're going to waste no time and we're going to dive right in. So tell us the Liz 101. Tell us your story and how you got to where you are today. Sure thing. So I'm the co-founder of And We Evolve, which is a subscription box service for secondhand clothes in like new condition. And I have had a passion for secondhand clothing uh, really ever since I was in college. I went to college in New York City um, and I'm 30 now. So I was in college in like I started in 2006 Mm -hmm. and it was an era where there were parts of Manhattan that were still a little bit gritty. Um, Like now the East Village is uh, full of cupcake shops and uh, frozen yogurt (laughs) spots. Yeah. (laughs) But back then there were some pretty funky thrift stores and I loved going through them and picking through for unique and interesting clothes Um, I still remember the first like real treasure I ever found. It was a black dress. It was sleeveless. It was a tube top dress. It was this beautiful black gauzy fabric and it was $2. And I felt like I had gotten away with murder. It was, (laughs) (laughs) it was just such a thrilling feeling. So I was really into thrifting all through college and then when I was a senior in college, I read the book um, Overdressed, The Shockingly High Cost oh, yes. of Cheap Fashion. Yes. Have that, you read that book? Yes. It's a great book. I recommend it to so many people. Oh, my God. It was just life-changing for me. This wonderful writer, she's a staff writer for The Atlantic, and she basically had this epiphany one day. She went to – there used to be a Kmart in Greenwich Village – And this woman was like, why did I just buy eight pairs of like these crappy canvas Tom's knockoffs? Like what kind of mentality are we groomed with that we feel like when we see a quote unquote good deal, we buy a lot of whatever it is and then we don't use it and we kind of hoard it. So she starts by looking at this odd mentality that Americans have 
around cheap clothes and how we, you know, normalize the idea that a dress could cost $9 and 99 cents. And that doesn't, you know, make anybody raise an eyebrow. Um, and then she actually, you know, goes to factories in developing countries and sees how clothes are made. And, um, needless to say, she paints a super depressing picture. Mm -hmm. Um, and it really just opened my eyes and made me realize, okay, thrifting and shopping secondhand is my favorite way to spend a Saturday. It's somewhere between an Olympic sport and an art form. Um, (laughs) I have had somebody else say that they really wish that there was an Olympic sport in thrifting and that they would get a gold medal. So Oh, I love that. I think I'm going to steal that and start saying that too. Yes. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I, I realized, you know, it's this really unique hobby that I have, but it's also, you know, a form of voting with my dollars of yes. wallet activism Amen. and of saying, you know, I am not okay with how, frankly, like young women in developing countries are treated to make our clothes. Um, and I'm going to opt out of that as much as possible. Mm-hmm. What's interesting to me looking back on life is I originally planned on being a writer. I um, I went to college in New York City so I could uh, intern and meet other writers and sort of get in on that New York literary lifestyle. Um, and I was a writer when I was in college. And I, I published a book when I was a senior in college about overachieving girls and the pressure on young women to be perfect. I didn't really see myself going into business or being an entrepreneur. And after I graduated from college, I ended up um, working in marketing and content strategy for startup companies. And then it sort of, I slowly developed more and more of an interest in business and in startup culture and in, you know, people who have big ideas about how things could be done differently and done better. So as my like professional interests started to evolve, you know, I had this longstanding interest in secondhand clothing. And then by the time I was in my mid twenties, I knew I one day wanted to start some kind of enterprise around, you know, closing this gap that every woman has so much clothes and every woman would like to freshen up her wardrobe. Um, But how can we sort of answer this need with the resources that we already have here? Yeah. Something that my uh, co-founder at And We Evolve says that I really love, and it's a little bit tough love, but she says, the world does not need another dress. Mm. It's true. I mean, there yeah. are tons and tons of dresses. And um, I I respect the work that designers do. And I, I think it's okay to shop, but just shop judiciously. Like yeah. shop when you need a new dress or you're, you know, going to a special event or whatever. But I think um, the more woke that consumers become about where our clothes came from. I think the less and less, you know, shopping on a Saturday afternoon just to go shopping or just to buy something. I think that's something that we'll see is increasingly anachronistic. Yeah, absolutely. So what was the evolution, no pun intended, uh, (laughs) from this passion to that you have for thrifting and the enjoyment you get out of it and, you know, wanting to create a way that people can 
do this on a different scale. What was the evolution of to what and we evolve is now? That's a great question. Um, so I have a like flashbulb memory of stating the challenge when I was 25 and living in Brooklyn and I had a lot of clothes, but I wanted more clothes, but I needed to get rid of some of these clothes. And I sort of voiced the challenge, you know, that I just shared with you that every woman has clothes in her closet that she doesn't wear. Um, virtually every woman would like to freshen up her wardrobe. Um, and something that I experienced is like a 20 something in New York city is that, you know, young women, I think mourn the sense of expansiveness that comes with not being able to refresh their wardrobes as often. I mean, when you're a cost conscious 20 something, you just, you don't shop for clothes as much. Um, and if you do, you shop from fast fashion places that don't really, you don't express your style. You're wearing the same thing as everybody else for $9.99 or $12.80 or yep. whatever weird increments Forever 21 uses. <laughs> um, so I remember like really getting like crystal clear clarity around that challenge when I was 25. And then I would say I really started talking about doing something about it for about three years. I was in the wantpreneur phase for a long time. <laughs> Um, have you ever heard that expression, a wantpreneur? No, but it's brilliant because it <laughs> totally describes, uh, I don't know, a lot of the people that I interact with. They're like, I have this idea for a business or I have this idea for a blog or I have this idea for a shop and then they never actually do it. Exactly. Is that what that is? Because that's that, what it that sounds like. Exactly I love it. it I love oh. it. Liz, you just made my day. This is great. <laughs> A wantpreneur. And I think um I think it's actually in a way more tiring to be a wantpreneur than it is to be an entrepreneur. Because when you're a wantpreneur, like you have the horsepower. You could do it. You're just you're listening to the fear more than you're listening to the excitement. I think we all have enough get up and go in us that we could launch the businesses that we were passionate about if we weren't afraid and if we were ready to just do it and not wait until we feel ready. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely it does. And I think a big part of why it took me a little bit longer to, you know, get moving with this business is um, I was waiting to feel ready and I was waiting to have the mm -hmm idea really crystallized and that wasn't going to happen. I, I was never going to feel ready. Yeah. I think that is such a common thread. Honestly, I, oh man, if I had a million, if I had a, if I had a nickel for every time I heard that, I don't feel ready. Um, are we ever ready for anything? <laughs> Not really. Um, like maybe an exam in college, like <laughs> maybe <Yeah>. you studied <laughs> enough for something like that, but like entrepreneurship, marriage, parenting, any of those big things that you enter into in your life, you can never be fully ready because you never know what is what lies ahead. And entrepreneurship is certainly a road like that. And yeah, no. So that that I think the fear, the the lack of feeling ready, the lack of confidence, um maybe even the lack of a support system, that roadblocks so many entrepreneurs from actually 
you know, going forward with their idea. So you didn't feel ready. You felt like you were, you had this idea, but you didn't know what to do. So what did you do next? So I moved to Philadelphia in June of 2017. I, um, I was in the mood for a change. I wanted a, a slightly smaller, friendlier city. And I'd visited Philadelphia a number of times and loved it. So I moved to Philly and I went to a class that was put on by Girl Develop It. Um, Girl Develop It is this awesome national organization that puts on no judgment zone workshops and classes for professional women to learn tech and computer science skills. Mm -hmm. So you can be, you know, well into your career and go in and say, you know, I am not entirely sure what JavaScript is or, you know, I need to take HTML 101 and everyone will be super friendly and excited that you're there. And, you know, because it's just women, it's a friendlier atmosphere than, you know, taking a tech class right. at a boot camp or what have you. Right. So I took a um, visual design class and the instructor had us introduce ourselves. And I said, hi, I'm Liz. I'm here. I have this germ of an idea for a um, e-commerce secondhand clothing company, you know, and I want to really drill down what that brand would look like. And after the class, a woman came up to me and said, uh, you took my breath away when you said you wanted to start a secondhand clothing company. I want to start a secondhand clothing company. Um, so this woman, Alicia Ebling, um, she and I got together and we uh, talked a lot and we talked about what the business would look like and, you know, how we would go about it. And uh, she's now my business partner. That's um, awesome. I call her my business wife. <laughs> I love it. So I think you really nailed it on the head when you said, you know, what keeps a lot of wantpreneurs frozen is the lack of a support system. Yeah. Because at this point in my life, I don't think I'll ever launch another venture without a co-founder. Mm. Um, they they teach us the buddy system for a reason when we're kids. The buddy system works. Yeah. So for me, having a co-founder really just put us on the fast track that we said, okay, let's do this. Okay. Let's get an LLC. Let's buy the domain name. Let's hire a web designer to like elevate the website. And even just coming up with the idea for a subscription box was just a result of us sitting on my living room floor. We had had way too much kombucha and we were just <laughs> bouncing ideas around. And, um, we came up with the idea for, a subscription box for secondhand clothing. And we were originally an online store and we photographed pieces on models one at a time and we sold clothes, you know, by the garment. Um, but once we introduced a subscription box, the demand for the subscription box immediately eclipsed the sales that we were doing of one-off pieces. So over the summer, we shuttered the store and simply became a subscription box service. It's such a smart idea because it's so, you know, there are a lot of secondhand clothing, not a lot, but there's a good amount of secondhand clothing websites like you have ThreadUp and Poshmark and um, sites like that where you can shop secondhand. But sometimes I even feel like ThreadUp overprices their stuff but maybe that's me as a just I like we'll go on there looking for something for my kids because I like to shop secondhand for my kids especially and 
I'll be like, uh, why is that Cat and Jack shirt from Target $9.99 here on ThreadUp when it's $4 originally at Target? I'm like, what are you doing? Um, but anyway, yes. that's, that's a whole nother conversation. So, but uh, I, well, I think- it, it's spot on though, because yeah. part of our thinking was that for women who are new to shopping secondhand, I think going to a website like ThreadUp or Poshmark could actually be very overwhelming and potentially a deterrent to trying it at all. Um, cause there yeah. is so much stuff to sift through. Yeah. And with Poshmark, there's an element of risk, um, mm-hmm. because it is a peer to peer marketplace and no one is controlling for quality. Um, and frankly, I know a woman here in Philadelphia who ordered off of Poshmark and her order came in a Cheez-It box. Stop it. It's so puzzling because priority mailboxes are free. Like you just have to go to the post office. Oh my goodness. That's- so the, the seller was either um, – sacrificing customer delight in favor of recycling or she just um did not feel like wow. going to the post office wow. were there cheese it's in it that's my question no i'm just kidding <laughs> um because i would eat some of those cheese it's let's be honest cheese it's are addicting anyway so yeah i think that the idea for a subscription box for this is just so unique in that you know because you see i mean obviously uh you know there's stitch fix and there's Wearwell and there's these uh you know different types of subscription boxes but you know, I don't think I've ever seen one for secondhand clothing. And so it's just, it's a very unique take on the subscription box model. So I have to ask, as when you, when you evolve to this, how, what did it look like for you in the beginning? And, you know, how did you get clothes for the subscription box? Did you just kind of call all your friends and say, do you have clothes you want to get rid of? What did that look like? So it really looked like just that. In the very beginning, we asked friends and family to clean out their closets for us and give us anything that they were ready to part ways with. Um, I asked my professional network if women would be willing to donate clothes. Um, And I sent my friends like these gigantic poly mailers and uh, prepaid UPS labels and said, you know, if you're willing to donate some clothes, just fill up this bag, schedule a UPS pickup, I'll pay for the shipping. And it was amazing how many women, even women who I had like maybe met once at a networking event three years ago, were willing to open up their closet doors to me and give me the things that they weren't interested in wearing anymore. And then once the site was off the ground, um, the way we replenish our inventory is that we frequently have women reaching out to us asking, you know, if they can donate clothes. And the answer is yes. Yeah. So I was going to say, is this something that you, is this something that you are constantly seeking new clothes like can people donate and purchase what is the what is the business model look like now do people sell clothes to you how does that work sure sure um so we really don't purchase clothes unless we are running low on a certain size or a certain style and it's a minor emergency otherwise for the most part we found that once women have decided that they're not going to wear an item of clothing, that item of clothing is really dead to them, essentially. Uh, We found that women are overwhelmingly eager to donate their clothes. 
and especially so a number of women have expressed to us, like, it feels better to donate things to you because when I drop stuff off at Goodwill, that just feels like a pit stop towards this piece of clothing's journey to a landfill. Um, oh, whereas man, that's if a really I, interesting perspective. Yeah. And I think it, it isn't inaccurate. Um, because we try to salvage things as much as possible. Like if something has a stain or it's missing a button or what have you, we do our best to repair it. Um, we wash all the clothes that come in and, uh, you know, I wish I had bought stock in spray and wash before I had started this company. (laughs) Yeah. To be fair to Goodwill, Goodwill just doesn't have the bandwidth for that. They're a charity thrift store. Oh, for sure. Um, and I know they do have a program that they will take clothing that they can't resell and they will, um, cut it into rags and sell it to cleaning companies. So yeah, yeah. So it's technically not textile waste, but it, doesn't assuage the fears that women have that like when I drop stuff off at Goodwill, you know, are my clothes really going to have a second act Yeah, or are they, you know, just sort of done for? I know you're enjoying this crazy fun conversation with Liz and I wanted to take a moment to thank our sponsor of the show who's able to help make it possible and that's Cosbox. As you know, Cosbox is one of my favorite ethical subscription boxes and I have been a subscriber for over two and a half years, actually coming up on three. How it works is each season, a new box is released filled with everything from accessories and home goods and jewelry to the best in skincare and wellness products that are not only amazing, but they are also doing the most good. The products are not just beautiful, they are useful. Now, the fall box actually sold out in record time, but have no fear because they are releasing a fall welcome box that will also be limited edition and the products inside are incredible. So you have to hurry, hurry, hurry on over to stillbeingmolly.com slash causebox and use the coupon code MOLLY for $15 off and reserve that fall box. Now back to my conversation with Liz. I actually, because I do a lot of closet purging, um, I find it to be very therapeutic. Um, and I I prefer, like for me, we have a, um, in my local area, there is like a buy-sell group um, for parents. And it, you, oh, know, you, can, you can buy-sell anything on there. and But just all the people in this group happen to be parents. And I love reselling my stuff on that group because I can sell it for cheap. I can get a little bit of money out of it, but then I'll be around town and I'll see somebody wearing something that I know is mine because I tend to buy, you know, a lot of fair trade or ethical fashion that's pretty unique. And so I'll just be like, Hey, you bought that for me or, you know what I mean? And, and I love seeing that it's, it's getting that second life. I actually really hate to take stuff to the thrift store or Goodwill if I have to. I mean, and I know maybe that sounds bad and maybe people will be like, why do you hate that? I'm like, because I don't know what's going to happen to it. I don't know if it's just going to end up in a landfill or I try to take it to a reputable organization. And certainly like if there's something that's just worn out, it's got holes or whatever, I'm going to take it to textile recycling. But so often I feel like people don't know what God to do. God bless you. <laughs> I'm real like, but I'm I'm also an outlier because I, you know, I realize this is something I really care about. So I don't want it to just get thrown away and just sit in a landfill for, you know, decades. But I also say to, to people too, is like, you know, instead of just putting all that stuff in a garbage bag and sending it to goodwill, like be thoughtful take a little bit of extra time to like be thoughtful about where you're putting it. So 
try reselling it because sometimes like, yes, reselling it not only benefits you because you get a little bit of cash out of it, but the person who buys it from you is going to be more likely to want to wear it because they're buying it from you, you know, and then, and then you can, you know, donate it to, um, you know, the, we, we do have a cause around here, Dress for Success. I don't know if it's a national organization, but there's one in the area and they provide like nicer work clothes, things like that to women who are transitioning out of homelessness or out of, um, uh, you know, women who are transitioning out of prison, uh, who are yeah. coming out of shelters and need clothes for um, work or job interviews, things like that. Um, so I think organizations like that are fantastic. But like just blanket donating to Goodwill, I actually say tends to be a last result and I think should be a last result for more people because let's be honest, Goodwill does not need more clothes. They don't. Yes. They don't. Yeah. They don't. So how can you be more thoughtful about it? So I love the creativity of this. I love the idea of like a a subscription box for secondhand clothing. It's just, it's so creative. So now that you've launched this, now that it's been up and running, what have you learned? What have, what have, what has been easy? What has been challenging? What's it been like? I'm, I'm really happy right now because the reflexive word that was like forming on my tongue was just to shout out like fun. That's it's awesome. Fun. That's awesome. Not a lot of entrepreneurs can say that. So <laughs> I mean, you're catching me on a really great day. That's true. Um, there are definitely moments when I'm like, let's burn this place yeah. down. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. But um, I, I think it speaks to, you know, when people say, oh, you know, think about what you would do, you know, if you didn't have to work or think about what you would do on a free Saturday where, you know, you weren't just going to nap, but like you were going to do an activity right. that could be your dream job. And for me, like I was just on vacation and I scoped out the local thrift stores. I love secondhand clothing and it's such a joy to me, A, to be able to work with secondhand clothes in a really tactile way, but B, to introduce women to how much more pleasure you can get out of your clothes if you approach it as a design challenge. And if you approach your wardrobe, not as some anonymous stuff that you bought in an anonymous transaction at loft or whatever, but rather this is a collection that you're curating yeah. and you have a unique relationship with every item in your wardrobe. Yeah. I love that. Now, how does it work from a consumer standpoint? You go to the website and we evolve and you fill out a, you know, a style profile, I'm assuming? Yes. We um, have a pretty thorough style questionnaire. One of the things that has been most surprising in building this business and something that I imagine will change as secondhand becomes more mainstream is that a lot of the women who fill out their style profile, they will say one of two things. They will either say my style icon is Claire Underwood on the Netflix show House of Cards, <laughs> or they will say, wow, I have never really thought about what my style is. Mm. So we've designed our survey to really um, help women parse out what they like to wear, what textures they like. We work backwards in a way, like, is there anything you absolutely don't want? 
but it, it's moving to me to consider that women haven't thought about what their style is. Mm. And I think if you get attached to a certain brand when you're younger and that just becomes your designated store, you know, it's sort of the difference between going to the grocery store and going to like a farmer's market or an open air market. When you shop secondhand, you're you're not working with a recipe. It's like we said before, it's much more of an art form or an Olympic sport or a combination of the two. So I think a lot of women, when they do our style questionnaire, are just sounding out what their style is. Yeah. That's a really interesting point. Yeah. And I, I definitely know people like that too, where they're, they either know for sure, like Claire Underwood is my style icon, you know, kind of thing, or they're just very like, if it fits, like, you know, if it fits, yeah. I like it. Um, and, and people have a harder time uh, learning. So, so you've learned that about women. So you've got sort of these women that kind of fall into two categories. There's not even really a middle ground. What no, has, not at all. What has the feedback been from from when people get a box to when they return items or keep items? What what is the overall general consensus that how people feel? It's so interesting because I'm just now seeing this parallel in talking with you. I think there really are two camps of women. There are women who are super specific about what they want and what their style is. And there are women who are less sure of what their style is. And there's a direct correlation between who keeps 100% of the stuff that we send them in every box and who we need to do a little bit more back and forth with. Yeah. And it takes a couple boxes for them to be like, yes, this was a 100% winner. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's interesting. Now, what does the pricing structure look like? So we use the the standard business model that most clothing subscription boxes do, that it's um, a $20 deposit when you sign up. And then when you receive the clothes at your house, anything that you want to keep, the $20 applies towards that. Mm-hmm. Um, and we offer an incentive that if you want to keep the entire box, the balance is $80. So you're paying a flat $100 for four to six pieces. And the tag prices will add up to anywhere between $130 and $170. And the equivalent retail price is somewhere between $300 and $400. How many items do you get in a box? Uh, between four and six. Okay. Now, how do you guys go about pricing things? Because since this is secondhand, how do you kind of look at the value of an item? That's a great question. Well, to start, we have a brand standard that we sell Banana Republican up. Yeah. We don't sell too much uh, Target or Old Navy um, just because the the resale value isn't as high. And frankly, we want women when they open up their boxes to feel like this is really special, like this is really extravagant. Um, So we aim for brands that feel like a little bit more luxurious. Yeah. So when people sign up for the box, they have the option – to say, please send me designer things. So if a box has designer stuff in it, that's a totally different ball game. But for our standard subscription boxes, the prices range between $12 and $12 would be like maybe for a 
button up top from loft Mm -hmm. to $40, which would be like a dress from anthropology or urban outfitters. Yeah. We have a moderate supply of designer things, um, from brands. We get a lot of Diane von Furstenberg, um, Alice and Olivia, um, Ellie Tahari. We have a couple Saint Laurent things. Um, and if someone is interested in designer clothing, the price points tend to be from like 50 to a hundred dollars. And then if someone keeps the entirety of that box, the flat price is 150 as opposed to a hundred. Yeah. That's a really Um, creative way to approach it. Thank you. Yeah. To use an analogy I used before, we want women to try on everything in their boxes and consider what we've sent them. And in terms of value, we want them to feel like they've gotten away with murder. Yeah. 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 Kind of like that feeling you had when you found that black dress for $2. Exactly. If I could capture that feeling and put it in a bottle, I would share it with every woman on earth. I think that's amazing. I love it. I think it's the female equivalent of like hunting or fishing. (laughs) Yes, it absolutely is. It absolutely is. I love that. Uh, well, Liz, so what is on the horizon for And We Evolve and the subscription box? And how is And We Evolve going to be evolving? <laughs> That's a great question. Really, we're growing, to be honest. Yeah. And we're figuring out how can we put as much care and attention into every box as we become a bigger company? Um, Something that has really surprised me in growing this company is how intimate of a relationship it is that we have with our clients. Um, you know, about a third of our clients are really communicative with us. Um, but two thirds of them use the service exactly as it sounds like on paper that they'll fill out their style questionnaire. We'll send them things. They send back what they don't want. Um, but we're learning about their style more and more acutely every month by seeing what they keep and what they send back. And it's oddly intimate. Yeah. And I I consider it a real honor to get to see what these women wear and, and what helps them feel like they're curating a wardrobe that is more distinctly them. Like it really feels like we're being part of women's style evolution going from, you know, I wear whatever fits to having tried on, you know, 30 different really special secondhand pieces over the course of six months and, you know, keeping 15 of them and having a wardrobe that is really curated. Yeah, absolutely. And that really can be transformative for a woman um, when she really starts to learn her style because it really can affect her confidence. It can affect um, just the way that she feels, the way that she approaches situations. Like, let's be honest, like every woman understands that when you put on that outfit or that dress or that shirt or that top or those shoes that just make you feel amazing, you walk into a room with a little bit of extra pep, you know? Oh, completely. Um, And I think we can even see it in other women. Like, I feel like I've gone out to restaurants or bars or what have you, and you can tell when a woman feels really beautiful. Like, you can almost see it in her gait. Yes, absolutely. 
I love this. So uh, Liz, and for the listeners, I will have the information of how you can check out And We Evolve. And if you are interested in getting a subscription box, um, I will have all of that information in the show notes. Um, But Liz, this is the time of the show where we transition to just get to know you a little bit. We ask some fun questions. And for my listeners, they also know that this is the point of the show where my husband inserts a fun sound effect. So uh, (laughs) to transition us. So Liz, are you ready? I'm ready. At Cheez-It, we expect a lot from our cheese. Knock, knock. Who's there? Interrupting cheese. Interrupting cheese. (laughs) Should have seen that one coming. You should have, because that was, I even told you I was going to be interrupting you. We take the time for our cheese to mature before we bake it into every delicious cracker. Because at Cheez-It, real cheese matters. So the first question is, what's the first concert you ever attended? Oh, boy. My first concert was Hanson. Hanson. I love it. Do you remember Hanson? Of course I remember Hanson. I am 33. (laughs) And uh, looking back, it's so, it's just so quintessentially 90s that they were such a sensation. Yeah. Because I think today we would look at them like a sideshow. Oh, for sure. Um, But God, I thought I was going to marry Zach Hanson. Oh my gosh. I love it. That's hilarious. That is the best. Uh, Okay, who would play you in a movie about your life? Emma Stone. Oh, I love that. I love Emma Stone. Can I tell you a tangential but very funny story? Please do. Okay, so I have a very low voice. And um, my whole life, it took some getting used to. I've had this voice since I was 12. And I finally grew into it in college. And people would say to me, oh, you sound like... Lindsay Lohan or, oh, you sound like, um, who's that other woman? I don't remember. But anyway, once (laughs) Emma Stone became popular, that's what I got a lot was you sound like Emma Stone. Oh, Drew Barrymore was the other one. Yeah. Um, so people very frequently tell me like, oh, you really sound like Emma Stone. Uh, so I was apartment hunting, uh, when I was 26 and I was looking for a slightly bigger room in Brooklyn and uh, apartment hunting in New York City is a blood sport it really is it's the worst you go in with like expectations of what you think you can get and then you will get maybe three out of ten of your expectations and I was looking for a room in someone else's apartment so I was sort of auditioning to be the perky easygoing new roommate Um, so I saw this room in a beautiful apartment in, uh, South Williamsburg in Brooklyn. It was affordable. It had gorgeous parquet floors. Um, the room, uh, had the fire escape attached. There was like a little bit of indoor outdoor continuity. And I was ready to tell the roommate who currently lived there, like, I love it. I'll take it. Like, she seemed super nice. Um, she worked in HR for a household name company. Um, I could see it working out. Um, but then she she paused and she looked at me and she said, it just came to me. You know who you sound exactly like? And I was like, um, who? And she said, Emma Stone. And I said, yeah, I, I get that a lot. And she said, is it comforting to you as you go through life? knowing that if you were ever murdered in a really interesting way, Emma Stone would play you in the movie. <laughs> That's really uh, kind of terrifying. 
Very. And I was like, I can't live here now. Because if this roommate relationship went wrong and people asked me, well, were there any red flags? I would have a gigantic waving red flag. Oh my goodness. That is, yeah, no, that's terrifying. Yeah. I would, uh, I would also not want to live there anymore. Um. Yeah. No. <laughs> so Emma Stone is who would play me in the movie, but let's hope I don't get murdered in a yeah. really interesting way. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. No, nobody wants that to happen. Uh, okay. Well, that <laughs> leads segues into a great last conversation is for what today are you most grateful for? <laughs> Other than being alive. Yeah. I would say my relationship with God. Mm. I have a just very clear sense that I am safe in the world and that I'm taken care of. And I believe that because I'm deeply religious and um, was raised in a very spiritual family where we were very vocal about love and we prayed together. And, um, that's what my spirituality has looked like has evolved and changed over the years. But I have a, I would say a very talkative relationship with God. And, um, I would go as far as to say that it empowers me as an entrepreneur. I think I feel less fear and less fear of uncertainty. Um, because either way it's going to work out. I'm taken care of, I'm safe in this world. We all are. And there's, there's nothing to fear. Thank you so much for sharing that. And thank you so much, Liz, for just sharing your story and for sharing all about And We Evolve. And I can't wait to see how you continue to grow. Oh, thank you so much. And I have to tell you, I am in awe of your textile recycling habits. Oh, <laughs> I, I think that if everyone knew where their local textile recycling facility was, that would make a world of difference. Yes, um, yes, for sure. Like if we treated textile waste the way we treated throwing out batteries, like like we have the space in our brains to do it. We know you don't just throw a battery in the trash. Right. What if we started a conversation like you do not throw clothes in the trash, especially if they're a poly blend. I, like I'm going to be thinking about that for the rest of the day today. Like how could we educate people about how to dispose of clothes in the most responsible way possible when they must dispose of clothes. Yeah, there's such a need for that because I get asked about it all the time. And it's funny because even my husband now, like he knows, like if he's getting rid of something, he'll like hold it up and he'll show me. He'll be like, well, okay, what do I do with this? And I'm like, thank you for asking. Um, Yeah, and it's something that I didn't always do well, but the more I learned about textile waste and um, just the way that it affects our landfills, I just, and I'm not like a super, you know, crunchy tree hugger like I but I realized that just if I can treat my clothes the way I do cardboard like you know what I mean I can do I can make a, a, a bigger impact so uh yeah it's just something that I've become pretty passionate about and I love um helping people and I'll even tell my friends I'm like if you don't want to recycle your stuff just give it to me and I'll take it to the recycling for you so um yeah there's definitely a way that it can be done better so um well, I, I, so I, I appreciate you saying that. Like yeah. our clothes, we take them with us to weddings. Like we should treat them at the very least as nicely as we treat 
you know, the box that our toilet paper came in from Amazon. Yep, exactly. I mean, we produce a lot of cardboard, but let's be honest, we produce a lot of clothing. 80 pounds of textile waste per American per year. Mm -hmm. Yep. And if we just made a dent into that, think about how we could better impact the environment. I mean, seriously. Completely. Oh, my gosh. I am so jazzed after this conversation. Thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. You're welcome. Uh, Well, Liz, thank you so much. This was so much fun. And I will be over here cheering you on. And as always, I will have uh, Liz's information and And We Evolve's information in the show notes for you guys. So thank you so much, Liz. Thank you, Molly. I had so much fun chatting with Liz. She was one of those people that I felt like instantly we would be friends in real life. Her passion for making secondhand clothing shopping more fun and accessible is contagious. I love her. I will have all of the info on how you can shop and we evolve and connect with Liz in the show notes. Another huge thank you to this week's podcast sponsor, Causebox. Visit stillbeingmolly.com slash Causebox and use that coupon code Molly, M-O-L-L-Y, for $15 off. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you are a first-time listener of the show, welcome. Be sure to visit the archives for past shows featuring amazing entrepreneurs and business owners who are literally changing the world with their businesses. And if you're a regular listener of the show, thank you so much for tuning in week in and week out. And thank you for your support. Be sure to head on over to iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Radio Public, or wherever you listen to podcasts and make sure you are subscribed to the show. Clicking that subscribe button helps to make sure that you never miss a new episode of the podcast. And while you're there, would you mind taking a moment to leave a review of the show? Leaving a review of the show helps me to know what you're liking and how the show is personally impacting you. And if you share the show on social media, be sure to use the hashtag business with purpose podcast or tag me at still being Molly on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. This show is edited by my amazing husband and executive producer, John Stillman. And the music is by Mark Killian of third wheel media. Thank you so much for listening and go do something good with purpose on purpose.